Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for August 1st, 2017. On today's show, I am joined by Ben Pearson, Y. Tran Bowie, and Jacob Hall. And we'll be talking about a variety of news, including the Emoji Movie being the worst-reviewed movie of 2017, uh, what Star Trek Discovery was originally going to be, Suicide Squad 2 losing its top-choice director, uh, a HBO hack, and what that might mean for the future of Game of Thrones, Dark Tower TV series that probably will never happen, and uh, Bumblebee movie casting. Uh, very unexpected casting. Uh, but first, we're going to go into the mailbag. Today in the mailbag, Stingray asks, what movie or TV show would you all like to see turned into a theme park land or ride? Uh, let's go to HT first. HT, what, what is your pick? Okay, so I had to um, discuss with everyone beforehand to see if there was a ride for, th- for this, but there is not. Uh, my choice is Atlantis, The Lost Empire, the Disney film uh, from 2001. Um, I would really love it, particularly because it's an underwater sort of world. It's really uh, just fascinating and stunning to look at, and it would be a really cool adventure ride or theme park or um, whatever experience that they would offer if it were to ever happen. Yeah, there's a shocking uh, little amount of Atlantis in any of the Disney parks, I, I believe, at this point. Um, and and, yeah, that, and it's, it's a great film. It, it's, it's a good film, and it definitely has a good world building to it that would make mm-hmm. for a good uh, experience to, to be able to enter that world. Um Let's go to Ben. Ben, what what would you like to see, movie or TV, turned into a theme park ride or land? Uh, so I'm going to choose the obvious and go with The Lord of the Rings on this one. I would say there's definitely enough there to build out into an entire land. Uh, I think you can obviously have like a Hobbiton thing, maybe like for a... Uh, a more laid back, maybe kid friendly experience. And then you could ramp up the action as you progress through the park, maybe leading to like a space mountain esque roller coaster within 
Mordor or something like that. Uh, I don't know. There's a ton of possibilities. You could you could have a, a flying on the back of an eagle's ride. I mean, there's a ton of stuff there with Lord of the Rings. Um, and it's just, uh, I mean, like the idea of Rivendell and Lothlorien, all these sort of elf-inspired locations, um, the way James Cameron is, is, has created uh, Avatar Land, that I feel like you could get something similarly visually dazzling out of a Lord of the Rings theme park. Yeah, and this, this is another world building uh, choice. Uh, it's interesting because they could they, they could do a series of lands, and they could even have like you know later on they, with expansion pads they have the extended cut, the Peter Jackson yeah. extended cut of the, the, the lands, or the, the Hobbit ride. trilogy, the Hobbit trilogy <laughs> built on yeah exactly with the with the barrel ride. <laughs> Actually, that when I was watching that, I was like, that would be such a great theme park ride. And they've actually talked about doing a Lord of the Rings uh, land. I believe when James Cameron was talking about uh, Avatar land, one of the competing ideas was mm. Lord of the Rings um, uh, theme park land um, that Disney was considering, but it did not happen. Warner Brothers might be still in the mix of, of trying to get that made. And obviously uh, they have that deal with with Universal, with the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, so it could happen, and that's successful. There uh, were st- there were stories that uh, the Great Movie Ride back in the day was going to get a Lord of the Rings segment, supposedly added over the Wizard of Oz to be the grand climax, but it never came to be either. Oh, I forgot about that. And the Great Movie Ride we're going to be losing soon, sadly. Yes. Uh, Jacob Hall, one of the theme park experts at SlashFilm.com, <laughs> Uh, what I assume that you've thought long and hard about this. This is the question, you know, like me, I, you know, I, I've imagined many different rides. What, what, what rides or lands would you like to see? Oh man, I, <clears throat> I could go niche here, but I'm not. I don't go popular. I want Game of Thrones. I want Westeros. And I've thought about this because with Harry Potter and Avatar, you have these worlds that are built to be places you want to visit. These places where it's like. Man, I dream of being in the Harry Potter universe. What I love about Westeros is that you never want to visit there. So I want it to be a constant sense of danger and excitement. There's just everything looks ugly. There are actors on the streets who look like they smell bad, who are maybe begging, or like evil-looking knights who are staring you down. I uh, think of it like a Renaissance fair, but evil, where <laughs> you go see a live stunt show, but things go horribly wrong in front of you. The ride possibilities. You get on the back of a dragon for a IMAX screen simulator soaring over Westeros. You book passage on a boat by the docks. The sail to old Valeria where you encounter monsters and stone men and things that leap out at you. And maybe you even have a, a live tour guide who maybe he's a mysterious Greyjoy who has ulterior motives bringing you out to these far-reaching areas. I feel like it would be uh, Universal's Harry Potter areas, <laughs> but made so much more threatening. Yes, the, the, the problem with this... Line. <laughs> one of the problems with this is i don't think game of thrones has a huge uh young audience as it should not uh so this 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 will probably never come to fruition um although i i, I would be so excited for the ride where you get to sit at a table and talk about all the factions of the land for like an hour straight um i'm the game of thrones i'm, I'm the slash film game of thrones hater so I have to throw that in there um I have so many that I would like to 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 throw out there, but probably the most elaborate that I could imagine is uh, the Jim Henson produced movie Labyrinth, 
Um, I would like to see a whole land because I, I mean the the world building of that is just so great. You could do animatronics with all the you know puppeteered characters. I can imagine you know a musical theater show with the Goblin King. You could uh, you know have a journey through the maze dark ride. Um, you know all the characters in that movie are just so great, and um, it would be it'd be cool to go into that world. Sadly. That's an 80s movie that I don't think many kids these days have seen, so I don't think they're going to make a labyrinth ride or a theme park. But um, but other ones I want to throw out there. And, you know, I was thinking, you mentioned niche. I was thinking, like, it would be cool to, like, come up with, like, something that was, like, a horror movie or, like, you know, a big, something that they would never do a theme park ride of. But I couldn't really come up with one that was interesting enough. Uh, I kept on going back to where films of my childhood that I would like to go into like Goonies. Like I could imagine a Goonies ride. Like when they announced Volcano Bay at Universal, they said it was going to be the first, uh, water theme park. And I was imagining it would actually have rides and be more themed than it is. I would love to see a Goonies ride at a water theme park that, you know, starts as like a dark ride where you're going through like, you know, the t- uh, basically the adventure that they went on and it ends at like a water ride that you get out of the dark ride, you know, the 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 uh, vehicles and you actually have to go down that like tube into the, the water with the, you know, pirate yeah. ship. That would, I mean, that would be so mm-hmm. cool. Again, I'm a kid in the 80s and many kids probably don't even care about that movie. So never going to happen. Uh, Gremlins is another one I'd like to see. I think there is a Gremlins ride somewhere internationally. Which I've seen video of, and it's it's creepy. Uh, I would love to see a. There's so many Pixar movies I'd love to see rides of that will never happen. Like I'd love to see like Wall-E and Up and whatnot. And I was thinking, is there a way to make that happen on a macro scale? So why not a a ride that is a Pixar ride that takes you through all the worlds of Pixar? Oh, that would be room. really cool. Yeah, that would be that- cool. Shades of um, the Hanna-Barbera ride that used to be at Universal Studios, where you would oh. literally ride through all the Hanna-Barbera stuff in a motion simulator. I forgot all about that. Um, and, my, and, lastly, <laughs> and lastly, the ride I think will actually happen is Moana. Like, that just is so perfect for a Disney, you know, dark ride treatment with the songs and just, you know, uh, obviously... Uh, uh, the rock changing into the different things like it, I, I feel like that would just be perfect for a dark ride so that's all mine does anybody else have any other picks nope, nope. Jacob <laughs> anything I'm gonna double down on Game of Thrones second land <laughs> King's Landing here in the north somewhere else force you to buy two tickets that, that, oh, that is ver- that is very smart and capitalist uh, okay let's move on to the news uh, first up in the news is the Emoji Movie came out uh, and is the worst-reviewed movie of 2017 so far. Ben, you wrote the article for SlashFilm.com. What can you tell us about it? Yeah, so actually, as we're recording now, uh, it looks like Rings has has a 6% on Rotten Tomatoes, and the Emoji Movie has since garnered just enough positivity to bump it up to a 7% on Rotten Tomatoes. So I believe it's now the second lowest uh, <laughs> rated movie this year so far. But uh, last week, it had a zero on Friday morning. Um, that is 
pretty awful for a major wide release film. Uh, it you know spent most of the weekend and and definitely all of Friday at three percent. Um, yeah, pretty bad. I don't know if you guys have looked at the reviews of the Emoji Movie. Uh, <laughs> they are all atrocious. Uh, apparently, this is like the worst kind of product placement mishmash. Like, there's no real. Um, story here there's no heart there's no enjoyable characters it just sounds like this was a truly bad idea from the ground up uh and you know it's something that sony must have known what they were getting themselves into and they just had so little faith in the american public that they're like you know what most people are gonna come out and see this anyway um so it's it's so cynical to make a movie based on emojis with a very um i don't know an embarrassing plot and just uh the creativity here i mean there look there's there's potential for it to be good right because the lego movie sounds like a terrible idea on paper but uh tony leonidas who is the guy who directed um the emoji film is no lord and miller so it's it ended up being exactly as terrible as everyone thought it would be and the movie didn't even hit number one dunkirk for the second week weekend in a row beat uh was number one and it beat the emoji movie yeah uh a lot of the studios are saying you know rotten tomatoes is killing you know business you know (laughs) a a bad rotten tomatoes rating can kill your movie uh what do you guys think about that Is 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 that the case or is it just a bad movie you know the buzz of a bad movie killing a bad movie i think a bad movie can kill a bad movie so even kids these days will see that an emoji movie, they have it on their phone all the time. So why would they want to go see a movie about it? You know? Yeah. And um, actually, Ben, I like I like that you called it at one point the emoji film, which made it sound a lot fancier than it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's probably doing it too much credit. I think um, with the, the concept that you just posed, Peter, I think War for the Planet of the Apes is maybe a good example of uh, that whole idea of Rotten Tomatoes being able to, you know, be the the end all be all is probably a, you know, a bunk idea or a debunked notion because that movie got really great reviews but didn't open nearly as well as Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. So, it, you know, studios love to blame, you know, push the blame on whatever they can at the moment. And I think Rotten Tomatoes has just become a target over the past uh, a couple months, especially with some of the terrible movies that came out earlier this summer. Um, but I don't know if there's if that's really uh, an argument that has uh, much standing that I believe in. Oh, for sure. And War for the Planet of the Apes is now at 118 million uh, in the U.S. And Dawn did 208 million. I don't think it's going to beat that, which is unfortunate because I, I think War for the Planet of the Apes is the best movie of the year so far. Uh, wow. But... Um, Moving on, Brian Fuller uh, making start or he started making Star Trek Discovery as an anthology movie, uh, an anthology series, which is kind of like how Fargo is run or True Detective, um, mm-hmm. where it's e- each season is going to be a new story. Um, HJ, you wrote this article for SlashFilm.com. What do we know about this? So Brian Fuller gave an interview to Entertainment Weekly that um, was surprisingly candid about how he left the project. It seems there aren't a lot of um, good feelings left between them. But he uh, originally was attached to the project for a while. He's a really big Star Trek fan, and so he was really passionate about bringing this story to this big screen to the small screen, rather. Um, so he said that his original pitch to CBS 
was to uh, make it a science fiction anthology series similar to what American Horror Story had done for horror um, and the other series that you mentioned earlier. Um, and it was pretty high concept. It was going to start with Star Trek Discovery being a prequel as like the first season and then venture on to the eras of Captain Kirk, Captain Picard, and then go beyond what we've seen in the films and the TV. Um, and he also had insisted on having a woman of color as the lead. And he did get that with um, Sonequa Martin-Green from Walking Dead. And um, he also wanted a director with more visual flair for the um, pilot. But this is where he and CBS clashed, where they clashed a lot of places. And uh, it's where they ended up kind of leaving um, and he exited the project to work on American Gods. So it's interesting. Yeah, I I think in a Star Trek anthology series would be a really unique take on Star Trek, which is already a very like episodic series. But it would be a new modern way of bringing the series to the television. I think it hasn't been done before. So I think he could have done it. And it would have been interesting to see. But it's unfortunate that CBS being the conservative network that they are, it never happened. Yeah, and and this is also being produced digital for digital, n- mm-hmm. not for you know wide television, which I I could see it costing a lot from season to season to completely re- reinvent the enter you know the uh what whatever the ship that they are on um <laughs> going from different ship uh Jacob, you are a big Star Trek nerd. I am. W- w- would you are, are you? What do you think of this idea? Do you think that it it would have been good, or do you think it it's better off that we stick with one crew for you know a bunch of seasons? I love this idea, and I'm going to jump on a soapbox I've jumped on many times before, and that is that Star Trek: Deep Space Nine is the best Star Trek series because it is the only series that allowed its characters to grow and change in significant ways to the point where they're the people we meet in season one are not the same people we meet in season seven. And with Star Trek Generation and original series and Star Trek Voyager, because there's this sense of this has to go on indefinitely, we have to have this crew around forever, we have to make sure we have 22 adventures every single year no matter what, there's this fear in, the, in the, even the best Star Trek shows of we can't change this too much, these people are static, they have adventures, and that's it. Deep Space Nine was so unafraid to break things that it couldn't fix that it made for gripping television that, feel, that feels modern for a show that was developed almost entirely in the 90s. I feel like an anthology format would have forced Star Trek to feel like that. It was that we have 10 episodes with this, with this crew. Let's plunge forward. Let's change them. Let's break them. Let's reshape them. Let's really dive deep into what it's like to be in this universe by narrowing our focus. And I think that's what Star Trek needs. And my concern is that a more traditional series will be something we've seen before again and again and again. Uh, and I, 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 I am excited that this is going to be not a non-episodic take on it, at least. Um, moving on, the director who is the top choice to direct Suicide Squad 2 is not going to direct Suicide Squad 2. He has signed on to instead direct Jungle Cruise for Disney and the director I'm talking about is Juan Colette Sarar, who who directed The Shallows, Nonstop, Orphan. You've seen his movies. Uh, he was the top choice for Warner Brothers to direct Suicide Squad 2. He hadn't signed on, 
but it sounds like he got swayed over at Disney to direct his own kind of Indiana Jones-esque uh, adventure movie starring The Rock. And uh, this is based on the Disneyland attraction, the popular Disneyland attraction, Jungle Cruise, uh, which takes guests on a tour of the Amazon uh, with cheeky jokes and uh, whatnot. But it's, it sounds like they're going to be taking a Pirates of the Caribbean, like big grand uh, adventure take on this, which is, which is interesting because Disney's also doing Indiana Jones. Uh, it, but you could see why he would choose this over Suicide Squad 2, which already uh, it sounds like they were going less from the dark and gritty to the more bright and colorful uh new direction of the dc universe jacob you're also a fan of of the disneyland disney world uh rides and you're a fan of jungle book or jungle cruise rather uh what do you think about this choice as director for jungle cruise it's a weird choice because i i like his movies a lot but he makes great trash the shallows is great trash the orphan is a is a trash masterpiece man if, if they <laughs> If, he, if he's came on the 80s, we'd be worshiping them. There'd be Mondo posters for them every every few months. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in 20 years, we're going to look back at his filmography and say, man, that guy made like the, the best junk. I loved it. This is a, so <laughs> this is a gradua- this is a graduation toward him making a Disney adventure movie starring The Rock. It's, and part of me is like, oh, okay, a, a guy wants a franchise. A guy wants to make Disney dollars. He wants to expand his horizons. But also I'm like, why can't you go make more junk? Make more junk, please. <laughs> but um, I, I can't argue against, you know, a guy I want to make a big movie. And The Jungle Cruise, I'm wary of it being a big adventure thing because part of its charms, that's low-key. It's silly. The, the live skipper who's on your boat is a, giving you a barrage of intentionally bad jokes. And my concern is that they'll be wanting to Pirates of the Caribbeanize it and make it into a rip-roaring adventure full of punching and kicking where I think all I really want is The Rock telling dad jokes. <laughs> well, we l- let's hope. <laughs> That's what we get. Um, all I want is it to be fun. I don't need it to be dramatic and dark and gritty. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like the problem with the Pirates movies is they forgot to be fun. Um, yeah. The Okay, moving on. Uh, HBO has been hacked. HT, you wrote this article on SlashFilm.com. Are, are, what, what is going to happen? Are we going to get spoiled on Game of Thrones? Like, what what actually happened here? So, HBO was reportedly hacked Sunday night, um, and the hackers claimed to have obtained 1.5 terabytes of data. And we're not sure, like, what shows they actually obtained other than uh, the released episodes of Ballers and Room 104 that they leaked online. Um, and the hackers claim that they have uh, a script from the fourth episode of Game of Thrones, as well as the episode itself. And they said that more will be coming soon. Um, but HBO didn't confirm like what shows actually got stolen and um, how many of them that got stolen. But the, the hackers seem to be focused on Game of Thrones, at least. So they might have gotten a couple of those episodes. Um, so, yeah, that that happened Sunday night. HBO confirmed it on Monday morning. And uh, it's been part of a trend of, I, I don't want to say trend, but a phenomenon of these companies being hacked lately. So Sony was the first one in 2014. And then Netflix was hacked with the season five episodes of Orange is the New Black, as well as Disney uh, getting the Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men, tell no tales 
uh, movie. Yeah, which actually didn't end up being true. That was just like a yeah. claim of a hacker. Yeah, that was just a claim. So this also might just be a claim again. Um, although they did leak the the script that was reportedly the episode four of Game of Thrones. So who knows? We'll probably we might be seeing some things on the internet in the next week or so. Um, that looks sketchy or is from Game of Thrones. So if you want to avoid spoilers, um, the internet is dark and full spoilers. <laughs> yes, you, you'll have to put your mute filters on in full force mm-hmm. on, uh, on Twitter. Um, moving on. The Dark Tower is not only a movie, but they plan on making a TV series. It probably won't happen because the movie's not going to do well. But uh, we have some more, some new news on this potential TV series. Ben, you wrote the article on SlashFilm.com. Tell us about it. Yes. So director uh, Nikolai Arcel, who is making the film that comes out this week, uh, spoke with our friend Kate Erbland at IndieWire. And in a new interview, he basically said that uh, he revealed that he was part of the writing team for the first episode of the proposed television show, which is supposed to sort of fill in the gaps between movies. And like you mentioned, Peter, I I doubt any of this is going to happen because the movie does not seem to be uh, on a path to, you know, blowing up and and doing well. So I doubt any of this is going to be relevant. But uh, in case it it happens to meet financial expectations, um, the uh, first season of the TV show is supposed to be quote, very, very closely adhering to the Wizard and Glass novel and parts of the Gunslinger novel. Uh, And so that is the fourth book in the Dark Tower uh, magnum opus saga that Stephen King wrote. And it is a prequel that sort of, um, well, you know what? I'm just going to throw this to Jacob since he's the one who's actually read all these damn things. (laughs) (laughs) Specifically, uh, Dark Tower 4 is an extended flashback except for the bookends set in the modern time to the uh to roland's younger days roland being uh the gunslinger played by idris elba in the new movie but him on his first mission with his friends riding into a town getting involved in a supernatural mission falling in love tragedy striking and the first dark tower book the gunslinger also features a flashback to uh an early training session with the man who helped him learn how to be a killer so it's clear they're drawing from all these various sources, all these various flashbacks from books one and book four to tell a TV show. Uh, interestingly, these stories also been told in chronological order before. Marvel Marvel Comics has a long-running Dark Tower comic book series that begins with these very earliest stories and has been telling the Dark Tower stuff in chronological, chronological order, picking up all the various flashbacks, all the various references and they're just now getting into the core of the main books after like 10 years of them being written and drawn. <laughs> so even if the series does not come to fruition, if you do want to know more, Marvel has it all. <laughs> if you want to go put down those collections, they're still in print and easy to find. But this this is not happening. They're never going to make this. So Yeah, and it's worth, it's worth noting that um, the movie is supposed to uh, be sort of um, taking elements from a lot of the different books instead of being just a straight adaptation of the first book, for example. So uh, some fans are sort of uneasy about that. It's The movie is actually being presented as a, a canonical sequel to King's <laughs> stories. And there's all these ways that, that the worlds intersect and all that stuff. You can read about that. We've written about it on the site. Um, but uh, yeah, the... The idea that a TV series would adhere closer to Sting, uh, to King's source material would probably make fans who are a little wary about the show happen. But yes, as we've mentioned, I doubt this is actually going to come to fruition. It, it surprises me that they even thought 
that this could be adapted for the big screen in the small screen. Like, it, it, this just seems, from someone who hasn't read any of it, it just seems so impossible to translate this this epic, you know, it, it's just so long and it's so compli- complicated. It, it just seems like unless you're going to do it as an HBO series, and even then it seems, I don't know, it just seems impossible. So uh, we'll see, but I, I don't think it's going to happen either. Uh, last up in the news, Bumblebee the movie has started filming, and we now know that John Cena is going to star in it. Um, HT, you wrote this up for SlashFilm.com. What do we know? It's John Cena! <laughs> um, okay, so ignore that I said that. Um, <laughs> he has reportedly been cast in the Transformers spinoff movie, Bumblebee, in an unnamed lead role. So he will be joining uh, the cast led by Haley Steinfeld. Um, and um, yeah, he there's no details about his character yet, um, but it, it's likely that he will play an equal or supporting role to Haley Steinfeld. Um, and what's, what's, the, what's the chances that he plays either Haley's dad or he plays the gym teacher at the school? <laughs> the gym teacher. Actually, I was banking on the mechanic um, who owns the shop where Haley Steinfeld's character works. Good so call. She's a, yeah, so she's a supposed tomboy who works there after school, and he kind of has the build for a mechanic, um, and especially one who uh, works at a shop in the 1980s. Uh, which I said in the in the story that I hope he changes his hair for the 1980s set, maybe like gets a mullet or something although i don't know if that will happen uh but yeah he's a he has surprisingly shown some good comedic chops in movies lately so i don't know if that movie will be tapping into that for him or if they'll give him a chance to stretch his dramatic legs uh but yeah that's it's an interesting piece of casting i think this movie is actually shaping up to be quite promising, even though I haven't watched any Transformers movies since I fell asleep in the second one. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, like the director, Travis Knight, I really love Kubo and the Two Strings. I love Haley Steinfeld. Um, the John Cena's oh, starting to get up there in terms of goodwill. And it's, it's the fact that it's supposed to be uh, an intimate coming of age movie about a girl in her car sounds very sweet and sounds like a much needed refresher from the spectacle and CGI that we've been getting with the other Transformers films. Um, We've also gotten the official synopsis for the Bumblebee movie that I will read now. So on the run in the year 1987, Bumblebee finds refuge in a junkyard in a small Californian beach town. Charlie, played by Haley Steinfeld, is on the cusp of turning 18 and trying to find her place in the world. She discovers Bumblebee, battle-scarred and broken. When Charlie revives him, she quickly learns that he is no ordinary yellow VW bug. So, yeah, it does sound very much like a boy and her... Oh, sorry, a girl in her car um, in the vein of, you know, movies like Okja or classic The Iron Giant like Lorenzo di Bonaventura um, compared it to. So, we'll see. It sounds promising. I love that Bumblebee is going to be his classic VW bug uh, mm-hmm. uh, form. John Cena, f- 
for me as a, a person who used to be a wrestling fan, it, it doesn't seem like a guy that has as much range as like someone like The Rock. Uh, please tell me why I should be excited about John Cena being like, what, what has he done that has impressed you? So I surprisingly liked him in comedies like Trainwreck and Sisters, where he kind of played in Sisters. He was sort of not really a straight man, but he was like a one, one joke character. Um, but he was really funny. I don't know. He seems to have good comedic timing. I can't really explain it because I haven't seen that many things, but he's always been kind of a scene stealer, especially in Trainwreck where he played um, yeah. a surprisingly emotional uh, love interest or fling for <laughs> Amy Schumer's character. Um, so I don't know. I, I think it would be fun. Well, he doesn't have, definitely doesn't have the range of the rock yet. I think just because he doesn't have quite the powerful eyebrows that Dwayne Johnson has. <laughs> so it, it could be good if he just leaned into, you know, his body type and his lack of facial expressions and, uh, use that as comedy, you know, physical comedy is just as important as facial comedy and acting. <laughs> For sure. And that does it for the news. HD, where can we find more of your work on the internet? You can find me at SlashFilm.com, and I also have a podcast called The Millennial Falcon Podcast, which is on SoundCloud and Google Play. Ben, other than SlashFilm, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Ben Pears. And Jacob, where, where, where can we find you in the corners of the internet? Uh, right now, as managing editor of SlashFilm, I'm there exclusively, whether you see my byline or not. If you want to see more from me, uh, Twitter, Jacob S. Hall. And you can find me at SlashFilm.com and uh, Twitter at SlashFilm. Uh, this does it for this episode of SlashFilm Daily. If you like what we're doing, go to iTunes, give us a review, rate us. Uh, if you don't like what we're doing, send us an email, peter at SlashFilm.com. That's also the email where you can send your questions for the mailbag. Please leave your name and general geographic location just so in case... We use your question in the air. We can credit you and we will see you tomorrow.